This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. From our newsroom in London, I'm David Marsland, and this is The Standard. When The Standard launched its first ever fertility survey, we had an idea about what the results would tell us. We thought we'd hear from people concerned about reproductive health and access to fertility treatment, and we did. But that wasn't top of the list. That was money. We partnered up with Peanut, the app and online community for prospective parents, and asked 400 people what they were thinking about when considering starting a family. Over a third told us they felt pressured to remain child-free, even though they wanted one, because of financial instability. It's the cost of living. It's being unable to buy a house. That's what's stopping or delaying people having children. And that's before they take into account how much childcare itself will take out of their pocket. In a moment, I'll be speaking to our executive features editor, Alexandra Jones, and we're also joined by Gemma Bolton, who's being treated for fertility complications. You can read more from our survey at standard.co.uk. I was watching The Simpsons with my son, who's nine, right? The, 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 the famous Simpsons intro where Maggie's going along the supermarket till and then she flashes up and it says, I thing is $834. And my son said, what is that? And I went, well, it's actually an in-joke. That's how much back in 1989 it was to bring up a child in America. And he's like, is that how much I cost? And I was like... It's a bit more than that, it says, mate. But Alex, the cost of bringing up children has now become a major issue for people thinking about families, isn't it? Yeah, massively. That figure is £150,000 per child. I think cost generally is seems to be at the forefront of people's minds. And it really surprised me because when we put all the questions together for the survey and when we thought about going out to ask people about their hopes, dreams, fears, anxieties around fertility... We kind of expected to get lots of answers that spoke to the kind of reproductive health issues that people are facing or that spoke to the lack of access to treatment or the lack of access to kind of affordable treatment. Um, And, you know, the NHS postcode lottery. And actually what we got was that, you know, the majority of people said that the biggest thing that was impacting their fertility was finances, especially post the trust mini budget and the kind of hike in mortgage prices. It's like... People are kind of living paycheck to paycheck and they're literally facing homelessness if they miss a mortgage payment. And, you know, clearly someone in that position is kind of scared to put themselves in charge of a child. Yeah, that kind of financial instability has got to be affecting Mm. people's thoughts when they're thinking about having children. But what I thought was really interesting about the survey was that age didn't seem to be a factor. People are 
seemed to think that they could just keep putting it off and putting it off and it'll be fine. Yeah, it was that was really interesting, actually, because more than 50% of respondents to the survey basically said that there was no cutoff age for having a child. And that included people who had listed age as a factor in their own problems getting pregnant. So there's definitely a sense that modern medicine has has made us all more able to prolong our fertility and and obviously some people think prolong it indefinitely. And for the article that you wrote for the newspaper and online today, you spoke to Gemma who's with us now. Gemma, you waited to start a family. Yes. Were you at the time thinking, it's fine, I can have a, a child at any age? Not, oh, I can wait indefinitely. But I think that Personally, I'd never been that kid that sort of was like playing with, mom, you know, dolls and wanted to be mums and dads. You know, even from a young age, I decided that I didn't really want kids or to get married in my 20s. I just wanted that to be kind of a time to, you know, find myself and to be a bit irresponsible. It just wasn't a priority for me. But I guess in the back of my mind, I always thought, yeah, I do want to be a parent. But I definitely wanted the kind of factors that you were talking about set in place as much as possible. But I guess 30 is kind of a milestone. <laughs> yeah. in, you know, you hit 30 and think you're going to have your shit together. And you hit 30, you're like, well, I still have no idea what I'm doing. You know, at 30, we were still renting in London, you know, renting a one-bed flat. Um, didn't quite have sort of financial stability. So, you know, you turn 30 and then suddenly you're 31, 32, 33. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, okay, maybe it's time to start. Maybe it's time to start now. You know, I think I had the age of like 33 as an ideal age to start. Um, Why 33? I don't know. <laughs> but I was thinking 35 is kind of when they say there's the cliff and you're sort of like, you know. Yeah, that kind of, that like fertility, fertility cliff where cli all yeah. women are just diving off. Basically your, your eggs just yeah. implode and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah there's no hope. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know why 33, but actually we bought our house basically at the end of the pandemic we started looking in late 2020 we moved in by March 2021 and we just happened to get like quite a good deal on it you know it's only looking back now that I'm like thank god we bought at that time we've got a six-year fixed like interest rate you know our mortgage payments are quite affordable I live in uh, the Medway Towns in Kent so it's a lot more affordable than London um so once we literally the, mo the month that we moved in we started trying mm -hmm. and that was two and a half years ago and yeah, like sadly, I've been blighted by fertility problems. I have recurrent miscarriage. So I've been pregnant three times, but I've lost all three of them. So it's kind of a, a niche, sort of an unexpected. It's a problem that I could never have predicted. No. Even with, I know one of your questions was about should people do fertility tests sort of in advance to kind of prepare for starting a family? And to be honest, it hadn't really occurred to me maybe it was sort of hubris or naivety but nothing on paper was sort of wrong I don't have PCOS or endometriosis I like healthy weight I don't smoke so you know my mum had three perfectly normal healthy pregnancies so there wasn't really any sort of red flags there can't be very many people who kind of grow up thinking I'm going to have fertility problems no. really can you that's a really interesting point though yeah. Alex should people before they start to think about having a family actually go can I? That was the biggest kind of consensus in the whole survey. Over 90% of respondents thought that the NHS should offer free testing to anyone who wanted it. Um, but, you know, fertility testing and fertility MOTs, I think, 
there's a pretty big margin of error. And I don't think that they necessarily give you a full rounded picture. And I think it's just one of those things that unfortunately, until you start trying, you don't know. I think it could open up a bit of a can of worms. In what way? Just preempting problems, I suppose. And um, I think you can kind of maybe create problems in your mind before you've actually just started trying and kind of see what happens. It feels like a catch-22 because, you know, you feel like you want to have all this stability and have all your everything in place. Can you have everything in place? Is that ever good? Was was there ever any opportunity when you thought, right, I now now have everything in place? Not really, but I think buying the house was the kind of final piece in the jigsaw for us because it meant that we weren't in a rented flat. It meant that we had a bit of stability. It just felt like the right time. It just felt like that was kind of the missing piece yeah and you kind of made the decision to move out of London so you could make that happen yeah we'd moved out kind of a year before the pandemic hit and then actually COVID did give us a good chance to save seriously like save enough for a deposit so it all kind of worked out for us but yeah we'd moved out of London with the idea that we would settle because did you stay with your parents before we stayed in a flat that they own so we were paying kind of very minimal kind of rent. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, I wasn't having to commute anymore, weren't spending loads of money in prep and TK Max. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was just the first time that we were really able to save a serious chunk of money. Yeah. And I think that gives you an idea of kind of the hoops that people have to jump through. So mm-hmm. it's like you moved out of London, but then you also had you know, the like lucky to have the benefit of that place mm-hmm. that your parents had, which afforded you a, a yeah. kind of you, you could have somewhere slightly cheaper. And then on top of that, you saved for like however long, like a year, two years. Yeah. But I think, and I think that's a lot of kind of hoops, effectively. I mean, not everyone can can do all of those things. Yeah, what I'm thinking is, are we heading into a situation where people don't have ch- children in London? Well, yeah. I mean, it, to me, it's it's got it's it feels like it's getting to the point where children are, are a luxury item, mm. uh, and to be able to have a child, you have to have so much disposable income, not only to firstly to have that child particularly if you end end up undergoing fertility treatment which i think is something that you're kind of confronting at the moment Gemma yep. but then maternity leave provisions in the UK are not generous um no. childcare is astronomically expensive the rents are the highest they've ever been and house prices uh, are through the roof like you know all those things together on top of your shopping now being you know 50% more expensive how are you going to afford it Let's go for an ad break. Afterwards, we'll talk to Gemma about her fertility treatment, including how hard it was to get and how much she's having to spend. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. 
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Gemma, with your fertility issues, did you think, I've left this too late? Is, did that go through your yep, head? It definitely did. And it's something that I battle with kind of on low emotional days. I think, why yeah. didn't I start earlier? And I had to kind of stop myself and say, well, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. I wanted to have as much in order as is possible. And I re- I don't like this rhetoric that sort of, oh, women are just leaving it off for as late as possible. They're irresponsible, blah, blah, blah. Like I say, it's it's really hard to save up enough money and to feel kind of emotionally, financially sort of secure enough. And even in the position that we are now, I can't actually, I don't actually know what will happen if we, if and when we do end up having a child, but I'm trying to sort of get over this first hurdle, which was something that we couldn't really have predicted in our, in our particular journey. And Alex writes about that you're, you, you're using private treatment for yes. your fertility treatment yeah. as well. That cannot be cheap. It's not cheap. No. no. And it feels very uh, frustrating. And I have days of, oh, why me? Um, recurrent miscarriage is quite a mysterious thing. The NHS has been very sort of supportive and kind. But in terms of the actual sort of research, when it comes to recurrent miscarriage, like particularly, it's just not doesn't really exist. You have, I think they've changed the legislation now, but it used to be that you'd have to go through miscarriage three times in a row before they do tests on you. And the tests are actually quite basic. You can, it turns out you can get those in like posh pharmacies for sort of 70 quid a pop. They test things like your thyroid, diabetes, and a blood clotting disorder, which I came back negative on. So mm. they were saying, you know, on paper, you're actually healthy. I have a good ovarian reserve. I've been pregnant three times. So they're basically sort of saying, we'll keep your fingers crossed and, you know, I'm sure it'll be okay next time. But there was just something in the back of my mind saying, because one miscarriage is common, two is kind of a sort of slight anomaly, but, you know, not that uncommon. Three or more in, in a row is uncommon. I think it affects one in a hundred couples. So in the back of my mind, I was thinking, it can't just be bad luck. Personally, I don't know. I know it does happen, but personally, I don't know any other couple that has had three miscarriages in a row. So I just, I was like, I don't want to sleepwalk into another miscarriage and another one. And, you know, psychologically, emotionally, it is devastating. So I just thought, well, you know, I've got a bit of savings. Let's, let's just, let's just see this guy. You know, there's one, from what I can tell from research, there's sort of one specialist in the UK. One? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. Professor Shahata, he's got a clinic in Harley Street and in Epsom. And I've heard, he does a few podcasts and, you know, he's done quite a few interviews and stuff. And I heard about him through Catherine Ryan's podcast, weirdly. (laughs) Uh, So I was just doing research and listening to stuff that he'd done. And I just thought he just had a very different kind of approach to everything I'd heard on the NHS and everything I'd sort of researched. His area of specialism is in autoimmune disorders and natural killer cells and how they can cause miscarriage, which again is something that the NHS didn't even bring up. They tend to say, oh, it's probably a genetic problem or it's just bad luck. So we had, we went to Harley Street and I had 16 vials of blood taken from me and they presented me with a bill for nearly £3,000 just for the tests. And I burst into tears in this Harley Street clinic. So I was like, we're in Harley Street, but we're not Harley Street people. You know, it's a big yeah. chunk of money. And that's just the test. That's not the treatment. But they did find an issue with natural killer cells, which was surprising. But it was the first time that someone had said, 
there is a problem. This is why it's happening and this is what we can do. So we've been on the treatment for three months now. I'm on kind of a cocktail of drugs. I do a monthly drip. All the treatment is designed around me falling pregnant. So then the, the drugs will sort of calm the autoimmune response and maintain the pregnancy. Um, so yeah, we've done that for three months, not pregnant yet, as far as I know. So just had to continue doing it. And it is a it's a financial pressure now. You're going through all of this. It sounds mm. like quite a lot of treatment, a lot of presumably time. Mm. How does that affect work? Yeah, it can be really difficult to juggle work. I mean, my bosses know kind of what's happened because this uh, clinic is in Epsom. So if I need to go there for my drip, that's half a day kind of out the office. But they're quite good with sort of that flexibility. And my colleagues have been very good with kind of filling in and helping out. Um, emotionally, it can be really, really hard. There are days when I'm in the office and, you know, I think I'm pregnant and I get my period. And it's absolutely devastating. Anyone who sort of has fertility problems, have been trying for a long time, will know how crushing that is. And when you've got to sort of send emails and put a deck together and, you know, join a meeting and you're just so emotionally sort of spiritually crushed, it's really, really hard to just sort of brush yourself off and kind of put on that professional face. And you don't necessarily want to kind of go to your colleague in tears because you're like, oh, I just got my period and I feel awful because they'll, you know, you don't want to come across as this sort of mad, emotional, you know, I hate to say it, but kind of needy, crazy woman. So it could be really hard to, yeah, get that balance. But how um, are you supposed to react? I, I know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard. You know, there's a lot of sort of shame kind of connected with all these issues and you want to try and be as professional as possible but some days it's just really impossible and every woman is different you know I know other friends who sort of had fertility issues and they don't tell anyone at work they just don't want anyone to know because it is a very personal thing you know I'm I'm happy to talk about it because for me it sort of normalizes it I think we should be having conversations like this all the time but you know that doesn't necessarily mean I want to go to my sort of male bosses and talk about it in quite such kind of, you know, detail. And you want to be seen as professional and, you know, not a liability, but it can be, it can be, <laughs> I'm just kind of taking it a day at a time, a month at a time. Um, maybe we'll come to a point where I had to have a conversation with them where I want to like reduce my hours or I want to, you know, work from home a bit more, have a bit more flexibility that way. But at the same time, money is obviously a big factor because paying out all this amount each month. So it's like, oh, actually, I can't really reduce my hours because I need all the money I can get at the moment. And if you didn't have, I mean, that three grand just for the tests, yeah. there would be no chance of you having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. According to, you know, this area of research is still sort of, I think the NHS is a bit skeptical about it. You do hear about women who have four or five miscarriages and then the next one is fine. It's such a sort of random kind of unpredictable thing. You know, I do trust this uh, professor's research. He's got a really high success rate of about 80%, I think. So if he's telling me this, I have no reason not to believe him. So I feel like I don't have a choice. Have you considered the possibility that you won't have a child? Yes. And how do you feel about that? Kind of devastated. It's, But it's something that People are very sort of positive and they want to they want to say, oh, no, it's, it'll be fine. Of course you'll have a child. You know, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Positive vibes. And I just like, no, I might not. And that feels like the ultimate taboo of like wanting to have a child. But actually, you can't for various reasons. I'm 37 now. I feel like it's very unfair because I technically fell pregnant 
at 34. So it feels like mm. these past three years have just, you know, I'm still at the start line, even though I've had three pregnancies. And it feels like with every month that passes that I don't get pregnant, that's another month gone, that's another month gone, that's another month being closer to 38 and then 39 and then 40. So there will come a point, I think, where, especially with the treatment, it's not particularly invasive, but it's just on drugs, I'm on a drip, it's the financial kind of payments every month. You know, will there come a point a year from now, two years, where I just say that's that's it, We're, you know, it wasn't meant for us. And then maybe we look down the adoption route or maybe we just enjoy being dual income, no kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's not bad. <laughs> there can be advantages to yeah, it. Yeah, totally. But Alex, if it's true that people are putting off having children until they're older, and if it's true that when you're 35, you suddenly become immediately infertile, <laughs> as you were suggesting earlier, are we about to head in, or maybe are we already in, a fertility crisis in this country? Um, well, I think in 2022, uh, we had the lowest birth rate in two decades in this country. And I think, yeah, I think we are moving towards a fertility and, a you know, a birth rate crisis. But I think that's been happening for a long time. And, you know, you look at countries like Japan, for example, whose birth rate is so low that they're literally, you know, their government is plowing billions into uh, trying to get more people to have children, but part of that is the fact that they're such an advancedly developed society. They're very tech savvy. We are having fewer children. That's just the fact of it. And we're going to continue. And that trend isn't going to get any better unless, I mean, unless there's a kind of radical overhaul in the government. You know, we're about to go into an election year. And I think there was... At one point, there was talk about Labour coming up with this incredible flagship policy for childcare. Now, I think that could be the making of this party. Like, you want to know, you know, you want them to stand for something. But if we're going to talk about radically overhauling childcare, then it needs to start at the moment of conception so that, you know, maternity and paternity leave is completely overhauled and becomes more generous. And, you know, childcare becomes more affordable or easier to access, or we invest in the system so that it becomes a much better a better system where the people who work within the childcare sector get paid more. And unless those kind of big societal interventions happen, and there is an appetite for it, obviously, um, then yeah, the birth rate will clearly continue to fall because, yeah, why wouldn't it? And that's The Standard. There's more on this at standard.co.uk this week. Tomorrow, you'll be able to read Alex's interviews with a co-parenting matchmaker and a woman who crowdfunded her egg freezing. This podcast is back every day at 4pm. Hit your follow button so you always get the best interviews, news and analysis from The Standard. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.